All right. Hello, YouTube, and welcome to the Wednesday weekly UK Sangha. Um, today we have uh, Parker, Alex, and Veda here with us. And uh, I'm going to continue with the trend of last week. Um, we're going to read a sutta and uh, just kind of take it point by point, paragraph by paragraph, and uh, we can discuss any uh, insights or ideas that come up or just run through the whole thing and talk about it at the end. So this is an open dialogue. Um, the one that I picked out is, uh, it, it's a uh, Majjhima Nikaya 4, uh, Fear and Dread. So this is a pretty uh, juicy one, in my opinion. Um, it has some magical stuff in there. So um, a lot of things that people base uh, past life stuff um, practices and uh, also rebirth is in this, but it, it also has like the heart of the Dhamma in it as well. So it has some good uh, Buddhist lore, if you will, to add to the um, to add to the uh, mystery and uh, um, enchanting aspects of the Dhamma, which I think can be very cool. And there are people who do have these kinds of experiences. Um, uh, me personally, I've never had a past life experience, but uh, it actually is very common and uh, people on on the past, um, so to speak. So uh, let's just uh, hop right into it. <coughs> Thus have I heard on one occasion, the blessed one was living in Sabati in Jetta's Grove, Anatta Pindagas Park. Then the Brahmin, and okay, another disclaimer, I'm just going to butcher the names, uh, but I'm just going to keep rolling with it. Then the Brahmin Janusoni went to the Blessed One and exchanged greetings with him. When this courteous and amiable talk was finished, he sat down at one side and said, Master Gautama, when clansmen have gone forth from the home life into homelessness, out of faith in Master Gautama, do they have Master Gautama for their leader, their helper, and their guide? And do these people follow the example of Master Gautama? That is so, Brahmin, that is so. When clansmen have gone forth from home life into homelessness, out of faith in me, they have me for their leader, their helper, and their guide. And these people follow my example. But Master Gautama, remote jungle thicket, resting places in the forest are hard to endure. Seclusion is hard to practice, and it is hard to enjoy solitude. One would think the jungles must rob a bhikkhu of his mind if he has no concentration. That is so, Brahman, that is so. Remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest are hard to endure. Seclusion is hard to practice and it is hard to enjoy solitude. One would think the jungles must rob a bhikkhu of his mind if he has no concentration. So right off the bat, um, it's acknowledging that uh, this isn't a walk in the park. So it is actually hard to enjoy solitude. So this is really a kind of noble practice, if you will. Um, uh, uh, Another way to think about it is a, a hero's journey. So we all heard of the archetype of uh, the hero journey. So there, there is an aspect of 
going into solitude and going into seclusion from it all and uh, conquering uh, the darkness, so to speak. Um, and then also, uh, okay, I'll keep going and then talk about it later. Before my enlightenment, while I was still only an un unenlightened bodhisattva, I too considered thus. Remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest are hard to endure. The jungles must rob a bhikkhu of his mind if he has no concentration. I considered thus, whenever recluses or brahmins unpurified in bodily conduct resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest, then owing to the defect of their unpurified bodily conduct, these good recluses and brahmins evoke unwholesome fear and dread. But I, I do not resort to remote jungle resting places in the forest unpurified in bodily conduct. I am purified in bodily conduct. I resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest as one of the nobles with bodily conduct purified. Seeing in myself this purity of bodily conduct, I found great solace in dwelling in the forest. All right, so here it's talking about uh, purification of bodily conduct. So this has to do with uh, the habits and the maintenance of the body um, leading up to these kinds of uh, meditative practices and uh, sort of the, the inner state of uh, what's going on inside yourself. So the, the set and setting, if you will, of your mind when you go into uh, the remote jungle thicket. And uh, if it's not purified, uh, likely unwholesome fear and dread will be aroused. Uh, I would say for anyone who's interested in um, experimenting with psychedelics, it's the same thing. So there's a kind of purification that uh, is necessary to have to avoid uh, certain uh, unwholesome um, downward spirals, if you will. So, In fact, it's used as a punishment for people with unpurified bodily conduct in speech yeah. and mind uh, that... Uh, that's uh, that has a reputation of being a pretty extreme punishment of putting them in seclusion and not letting them talk to anybody. And uh, they'll go crazy, crazy with hindrances, crazy with dissatisfaction. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Um, just the only slight difference would be that um, for solitary confinement, they're in a very enclosed space uh, with pretty plain walls whereas mm -hmm. the remote jungle thicket is that's uh, a good point is it's in the thick of nature so there's all sorts of uh, uh reptiles and uh scary animals that could come into play um and uh more uh sensory input that's available there so it is slightly yes. different but yes. the, the seclusion from people is the same and the psychological psychological aspect that comes with that so uh Okay, so he, uh, the Buddha says he resorts to uh, remote jungle thicket with a purified body. 
I resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest, as noble ones do. Okay, here we are. I consider thus, whenever recluses or Brahmins, unpurified in verbal conduct, unpurified in mental conduct, unpurified in livelihood, resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest, they evoke unwholesome fear and dread. But I am purified in my livelihood. I resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest as one of the nobles with livelihood purified. Seeing in myself this purity of livelihood, I found great solace in dwelling in the forest. I considered thus, whenever recluses or Brahmins who are covetous and full of lust, I am uncovetous. With a mind of ill will and intentions of hate, I have a mind of loving kindness. Overcome by sloth and torpor, I am without sloth and torpor. Overcome with restless and unpeaceful mind, I have a peaceful mind. Uncertain and doubting, I have gone beyond doubt. Given to self-praise and disparagement of others, I am not given to self-praise and disparagement of others. Subject to alarm and terror, I am free from trepidation. Desirous of gain, honor, and renown, I have few wishes. Lazy and wanting in energy, I am energetic. Unmindful and not fully aware, I am established in mindfulness. Unconcentrated, with straying minds, I am possessed of concentration. So uh, this is this is talking about all the hindrances, and and uh, the possibility. For unwholesome states to arise. So uh, it's really about the Eightfold Noble Path of right everything. So you go with the right attitude, the right view, the right behavior, the right everything, and uh, things are going to go good. But uh, it is a training. So you go, again, you, you, you go as a noble one. So you go with that attitude of being a noble, of being a uh, of, of being established in mindfulness, of being fully aware. So um, it, it's a mindset. It, I can do this mindset. Um, if you're going and you're just uh, sandbagging it, and you're you got sloth and torpor, and you got a uh, you got you're, you're disparaging others in your mind, and you're think being hateful, um, all these hindrances that if you haven't purified it, if you haven't made that effort to uh, throw out those hindrances, um, you're going to uh, experience a lot of unwholesome fear and dread uh, in, sol in solitude or seclusion. Um, okay. so. I considered thus whenever rock recluses or Brahmins devoid of wisdom, drivelers, resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest. Then, owing to the defect of their being devoid of wisdom and drivelers, these good recluses and Brahmins evoke unwholesome fear and dread. I do not resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest devoid of wisdom, a driveler. I am possessed of wisdom. I resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest as one of the noble ones possessed of wisdom. Seeing in myself this possession of wisdom, I found great solace in dwelling in the forest. 
I consider thus there, there are specially auspicious nights of the 14th, the 15th, and the 8th of the fortnight. Now what if on such nights as these I were to dwell in such awe-inspiring, horrifying abodes as orchard shrines, woodland shrines, and tree shrines? Perhaps I might encounter that fear and dread. So even uh, with purified mind and with the right attitude and everything, uh, fear and dread may still arise. And uh, the Buddha will talk about how how he handled that and what to do with that. Um, and later on such specially auspicious nights as the 14th, the 15th, and the 8th of the fortnight, I dwelt in such awe-inspired awe-inspiring, horrifying abodes as orchard shrines, woodland shrines, and tree shrines. And why, while I dwelt there, a wild animal would come up to me, or a peacock would knock off a branch, or the wind would rustle the leaves. I thought, what now, if this is the fear and dread coming? I thought, why do I dwell always expecting fear and dread? What if I subdue that fear and dread while keeping the same posture that I am, that I am in when it comes upon me? So here's kind of a, here's kind of a, a practice that we can take from this. So this is the main point or the most important part of the sutta, in my opinion, that actually how to apply it and uh, recreate the results for yourself. So it says, while I walked, the fear and dread came upon me. I neither stood nor sat nor lay down till I had subdued that fear and dread. While I stood, the fear and dread came upon me. I neither walked nor sat nor lay down till I had subdued that fear and dread. While I sat, the fear and dread came upon me. I neither walked nor stood nor lay down till I had subdued that fear and dread. While I lay down, the fear and dread came upon me. I neither walked nor stood nor sat down till I had subdued that fear and dread. There are Brahmin, some recluses and Brahmins who perceive day when it is night and night when it is day. I say that on their part, this is an abiding and delusion. But I perceive night when it is night and day when it is day. Rightly speaking, were it to be said of anyone, a being not subject to delusion has, has appeared in the world for the welfare and happiness of many, out of compassion for the world, for the good welfare and happiness of gods and humans. It is of me, indeed, that, rightly speaking, this should be said. Tireless energy was aroused in me, and unremitting mindfulness was established. My body was tranquil and untroubled my mind concentrated and purified. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, I entered upon and abided in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought, with rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. All right, so there it's really talking about uh, what this practice is leading to and what the actual fruition is. So, if you are able to surmount your own fear and dread, so whenever uh, you, this fear and dread arises, you become absolutely de de determined to suppress it. 
So you're sitting down, you experience some fear arise. I'm not, I'm literally not going to do anything until I conquer the fear that's inside of me and subdue it. Or if you're walking and the fear arises, you're not going to do anything else until you subdue it or you're laying down and so on. So there's no distracting yourself from it. Uh, there's no running from it. There's no uh, trying to cope with it. Um, chances are all these coping mechanisms are um, just going to prolong or or uh, uh, keep keep the unwholesome um, habits going. So uh, many people's coping mechanisms for this fear and dread may to uh, hit the bottle. Um, you know, uh, start the and uh, there is uh, the consequences that come along with that when uh, you make that a habit of uh, coping with uh, this fear and dread that arises instead of facing it directly and uh, surmounting it. And when you do, um, what's going to happen is you're going to enter into first jhana. So you're going to come into a wholesome state and uh, tireless energy will arouse in you. So it's kind of like crossing a threshold kind of thing. So you cross the threshold and you cross the desert and you make it to the oasis. And uh, you get to the oasis and and now all of a sudden, all this energy, all this relief, all this clarity uh, suffuses your mind and your experience. Um, and uh, it's, it's quite enjoyable and quite uh, victorious when it happens. So um, also another thing that's pretty badass about this is that the part where it says for the welfare and happiness of many uh uh for gods and humans so there are gods out there who um can benefit from the dhamma <laughs> rather than uh praying to the sky daddy up there please help me you can actually help those guys who are up in the heaven <laughs> who are ruling over the this uh this uh plane of samsara or whatever uh, you want to think of it as whatever realm we're in right now. So this is for the good of gods, humans, any being. Uh, so uh, you're not. So you kind of don't put yourself uh, under the thumb of a god. You don't take yourself to be a loser, which uh, most uh, Christianity does. Oh, woe is me! I'm not worthy, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Okay, so he, he talks about uh, first jhana, and then here's going to all the aspects of the first jhana. So we have uh, we have the applied and sustained thoughts and uh, rapture and pleasure, born of seclusion. So rapture is PT, right? Um, PT can be experienced in uh, different sorts of levels and facets, but uh, the characterizing aspects of PT is that it's very energizing. Uh, it's, it's uplifted, it's uh, enlivening, invigorating. Um, it could be sensations, it could be, um, it could be different types of sensations. So it doesn't have to be like one type of buzzing or something like that, that uh, a lot of people think of it as. Um, so just to think of it more as joy, 
you know, it doesn't have to be a specific sensation uh, that arises, um, but joyful sensations um, and pleasure. Pleasure is a more tranquil, more relaxed sukha, so comfort of body and uh, peacefulness of body. And uh, applied and sustained thought. So um, I want to ask you guys, what does applied and sustained thought mean to you? What does that mean? Anyone uh, want to answer? Um, I think there are often two renditions of it. Uh, the, um, the one that uh, is likely the sutta is referring to is... Um, uh, um, one way of it being translated is thinking and considering. So thinking is when a thought arises and considering is when um, you're continuing to think about that thought. Um, I think uh, the insight crowd sometimes talks about it as taking an object. You're applying to the mind the object and then the sustained thought is sustaining on the object. Um, but uh, it seems more likely and more accurate to talk about it as thinking and considering right um, right so the thinking and examining didactic thought. thought yeah the thinking and examining thought it's a very uh, important characteristic of the first jhana it's essentially the thought going oh this is piti oh this is sukha this is first jhana what's going on right now uh i'm feeling good thought so you're thinking about how good you're feeling and you're examining it, you're looking at it. Wow, this is cool. This is PT and Sukha. This is jhana. Um, this is wholesome, is another example. Uh, that thought, uh, applying and sustaining that thought um, and not going off into uh, projections or wholesome thoughts. Thoughts of the Brahma Viharas. Yeah. Uh, thoughts of there are no problems right now. Everything's okay. The grass grows by itself. Yeah. Any wholesome thought. Um, but not just talking ourselves into it at that point because you're already in it. So at this point, instead of talking yourself into it, you're examining the wholesome that's already there. So you're thinking and examining wholesome thoughts, but you're not, you're not like, uh, you're not trying to get yourself into it. You're already in it. So you're looking at, oh, there's all this wholesome stuff going on right now. How cool. Let me stay on it. And sustain that collecting so, evidence that's the different yeah collect collecting evidence okay that's a good example um but to get to there a practice um there's many different ways one is talking yourself into it thinking wholesome thoughts until you are in a wholesome state and now you're just watching the wholesome thoughts and being like oh look look at the pt look at the sukha this is nice this is actually really nice and relaxing and keeping that going so it's a practice, right? It's a sustaining, applying and sustaining over and over and over and over again. Um, and then uh, going on to the second jhana. With the stilling of applied and sustained thoughts, I entered upon and abided in the second jhana, which has self-confidence and singleness of mind without applied and sustained thought, with rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. So this is the transition from first jhana into second jhana. Um, this is when you got it and you really know you got it. So uh, you don't have to really think about it anymore. You can just 
uh, appreciate, soak it up, soak it in, really soak it in how good it is, how good you're feeling. And you don't have to think about it. You can just enjoy it. So that's the stilling of the thought. I don't need to, I know this is PT. I know this is Sukha. I can just stop thinking about it and experience it. Um, and then, so we start to put some gaps in between the thoughts. We just start to feel good. And uh, there's a there's a real confidence that comes along with it because it, it speaks for itself. It's kind of like a, the proof is in the pudding. So <laughs> the the proof of the pudding is the taste. Um, so you're tasting you're tasting the rapture and the pleasure uh, without thinking about it. So you might be eating something and thinking about how it tastes, or you might just be eating it and like t it's kind of like a tantric. So people will have different kinds of tantric practices. Second jhana is uh, very tantric. You just go into the experience of it without thinking about it. Okay. Hey Scott. Yeah. You can jump into the second jhana from uh, without going into the first. Yeah. Uh, in your experience. I would say no, because chances uh, chances are, as a practice, if you do, if that does happen to you, um, chances are you're going to get pooped right out of it because it's not intentional and you're not doing it as a practice and you're not applying and sustaining it. So, yeah, you might experience second jhana. Um, you're listening to a beautiful symphony and uh, your mind goes blank and the goosebumps sort of enrapture your body and you're just wow this is incredible and you you're you stop thinking about it and you experience it for that for that moment that would be second jhana mm -hmm. but there's no there's no intention there there's no practice whereas um, this is actual um, intentional thing that we're doing to experience this um, on purpose and it's a skill and a subtlety of mind that you can develop um, but yeah um, actually realizing when we have experienced second jhana is is very useful for understanding how to implement it so yes you can ex jump into second jhana it's a natural part of being human um it happens you know i think you can do it intentionally too only reason why i say that is because i notice sometimes i could just i don't know i could just smile and be like Oh man, just feel really good. Almost like it's just you're so like you're, priming the, something. Yeah. So if you're able to do that, uh, you'd have to already kind of be in a wholesome state of mind to mm -hmm. even do that or think or want to do that. So mm -hmm. that would be first jhana. <laughs> and okay, so continue. Okay. Um, so yeah, to enter into second jhana, you have to already be in a pretty decent mood right yeah you're, you're not yeah. gonna go from you're not gonna go from thinking about your ex-girlfriend to experiencing ecstasy for no reason you have to be in a, a relatively wholesome state to go into this so it is well i i don't know i don't know i mean you know i don't want to say i definitely not going to say you're wrong but uh to challenge well, what you just yourself. said i could be wrong it's it, I've, you know, these I've had, the, the practice of jhana is experiential. So, um, yeah, see for yourself and see what happens. Um, that's what I say. 
So I've had the... several moments where I'm thinking about my ex-girlfriend and I've shifted the practice from uh, letting those thoughts go any, like as soon as I see it, I just smile. I just and smile and feel that's really a good. Point to be made that uh, as one develops these skills, uh, originally the effort is uh, into thinking wholesome thoughts and mm -hmm. uh, thinking wholesome thoughts because the mind is uh, so stuck in the unwholesome, it doesn't have any memories of being in a wholesome state. But as mm -hmm. one really develops a skill of thinking wholesome thoughts and thinking thoughts that are satisfying, uh, they'll start to develop uh, a sort of memory of being in a satisfied, wholesome state. Okay. So they yep. can recall the, uh, the feeling good without even having the didactic uh, mm -hmm. verbal thought that's convincing or uh, telling your mind a story in order to feel good. Yeah. So, yeah, you can tiptoe okay. in and out of these genres. So it's not necessarily this graduate to this genre you can tiptoe in between them there's subtleties and nuances of a wholesome state so first genre would be kind of the bedrock a wholesome state of mind a mind that's purified clearly seeing things um examining things as they are um, mm -hmm. okay so so we go from second jhana to third um, with the fading away as well of rapture i abided in equanimity and mindful fully aware, still feeling pleasure with the body. I entered upon and abided in the third jhana. On the accounts of which noble ones announce, he has a pleasant abiding, who has equanimity and is mindful. So here, um, kind of like the PT, the um, very energetic um, joy kind of calms down. So calms down into something a little bit more tranquil. Now you're just relaxed, and all the all your body bodily tension is um, experiencing comfort and relaxation, and uh, um, you kind of settle down from that uh, roller coaster PT ride. Okay, now you're just chilling. Um, and then uh, finally, the fourth jhana with abandoning of pleasure and pain. Uh, with the previous disappearance of joy and grief, I entered upon and abided in the fourth jhana, which has neither pain nor pleasure and purity of mindfulness due to equanimity. So this one, there's kind of just complete um, stillness and clarity. There's no real feelings involved. So there's no, there's no PT, there's no sukha, but then there's also no negative feelings. So it's a total uh, equanimity or a total... A serenity without any uh, any energetic sensations that go along with it. So it's just experiencing reality uh, with a complete indifference because you're not experiencing pleasure or pain. You're just sitting in clarity and uh, equanimity and serenity. And uh, you're fully aware. So you can see really clearly what's going on. And uh, from here, um, Things can get pretty, when a, the mind is purified to this extent, um, it can get magical. So you can have, you can go into uh, different types of experiences. Uh, 
because you're really investigating uh, the fundamental building blocks of our experience. So you can realize that even space and time are sensations, okay? And these are impermanent sensations. So there's all sorts of uh, investigative capacity that goes along with the fourth jhana. So it, it's a useful skill to develop. Um, and it goes into the magical stuff here. When my mind, when my concentrated mind was thus purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability, I directed it to the knowledge of recollection of past lives. I, re <clears throat> I recollected my manifold past lives, that is one birth, two birth, three births, four birth, five births, 10 births, 10, 20 births, 30 births, 40 births, 50 births, 100 births, 1,000 births, 100,000 births, many eons of world, con, uh, world contraction, many eons of world expan expansion, many eons of world contraction and expan expansion. So uh, this is up for interpretation, right, what this actually means. Um, world contraction and expansion, but uh, my interpretation would be that, again, like like I said before, space, our experience, our subjective experience of space and time and of the world um, is subject to change. So this is an impermanent phenomena that we're experiencing. So you can experience actually the con expansion of of the entire universe or the contraction but these things are uh, can be toyed with and played with, and uh, they're actually malleable um, when you develop this level of concentration or samadhi, a uh, better word for it. And uh, he, he talks about all the past lives he experiences, and then he talks about um, rebirth here. This was the first true knowledge attained by me in the first watch of the night. Ignorance was banished and true knowledge arose. Darkness was banished and light arose. As happens in one who abides diligent, ardent, and resolute. When my mind was con concentrated, was thus purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability. I directed it to the knowledge of the passing away and reappearance of beings with the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human. So, uh, all right, see you, Alex. Good to have Bye, you. Bye, guys. See ya. Thanks for the... So, uh, seeing with the divine eye, it's another way to um, say seeing with the eye of the Dhamma. So um, when you kind of go into a super mundane experience and you're seeing with the eye of the Dhamma or discernment, uh, it has the ability to perceive things otherwise not available to the normal uh, human cognition, the normal, uh, the normal experience of seeing with uh, these eyes. 
and directing our attention outward. There's a me here seeing over there. Uh, when you're seeing with the divine eye or the third eye is essentially another way to say the imagination, right? Uh, we can experience things um, through uh, this third eye, so to speak, through the imagination um, that doesn't share the same limitations of the normal human faculty. So uh, this is the realm of, uh, um, you can have, uh, Carl Jung talks about archetypal experiences, the archetypes of the collective unconscious. So uh, um, people may experience it in dreams, but it's also possible uh, when you enter these states of samadhi to experience it in the waking state. So you can experience uh, trippy past life experiences and all sorts of things like that. Um, I saw beings passing away and reappearing, inferior and superior, fair and ugly, fortunate and unfortunate. I understood how beings pass on according to their actions thus. These worthy beings who are ill-conducted in body, speech, and mind, revelers of noble ones, wrong in their views, giving effect to wrong view in their actions, and on the dissolution of the body after death, have reappeared in a state of deprivation, in a bad destination and perdition, even in hell. But these worthy beings who were well-conducted in body, uh, speech and mind, not revelers of noble ones, right in their views, giving effect to right view in their actions, on the dissolution of the body after death, have reappeared in good destination, even in the heavenly world. Thus with the divine eye, uh, which is purified and surpasses the human, I saw beings passing away and reappearing, inferior and superior, fair and ugly, fortunate and unfortunate, and I understood how beings pass on according to their actions. So uh, this is kind of like the teaching of rebirth. Uh, on on a, There's a super mundane aspect to it and a mundane aspect to it. So kind of like the mundane aspect is uh, uh, if you do good things in the future, you will reap good results, um, future lifetimes. But... Uh, uh, the direct application or the super mundane understanding is that um, there is no real self uh, that is continues across lifetimes. So uh, the self is arising and passing away in each moment or your experience of yourself is arising and passing away in each moment. So when you're well uh, conducted in your speech and your behavior and your view, um, you have a wholesome state of mind, you have a purity purified state of mind uh, and you practice and you're diligent in that practice, you will exp uh, be reborn in heaven uh, realms. So heaven on earth, so to speak. So you can experience very uh, pleasurable states and very comfortable states and very um, states full of love and joy and compassion and equanimity. Um, so you can really um, um, find that uh, inner freedom and happiness um, here and now based on uh, the kind of seeds that we sow in our own minds. And uh, the, the reverse is true. You can create, you can make your life a living hell. You can make it, it a living hell to uh, 
live in your own mind. Uh, yeah, Carl, uh, you raise your hand. Yeah, as far as like the seeing with the eye of Dhamma, uh, as I understood that Suda is also with interacting with people and seeing through the hells that they're living in and just walking through it with the with the Dhamma. If you allow, if you if you're not looking correctly, you will get dragged back into the state of hell or just by being surrounded, as you said, Carl's young, like cloud of consciousness, right? It's just like we're always in it. But if you're looking with the eye of Dhamma, you, 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 you go above it. You, you get reborn into the realms of heaven, as we call them, right? So that, that's how I understood so, it. Yeah, well, yeah so um, the, that's dependent origination, the cause and effect of things. And you see the cause and effect of beings, uh, yourself and others as well. So you can see this person is angry because of how they train their minds without i mean they're 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 training their mind without knowing it to be angry and unwholesome so um but seeing with the eye of the dhamma is a sort of uh transcendence from the cycle of birth and death entirely so you see the cycles even heaven and hell is nothing to you it's just uh, unfolding spontaneously an emergent property of reality and it doesn't really affect you because uh, the Dhamma sees everything with, with uh, from a transcendent lens. So it sees clearly. It sees the impermanence, impermanence. It sees the emptiness and sees the no self. And it sees the unsatisfactoriness. So it sees that even heaven, even heaven won't satisfy you. It's not to be craved for. It's not to be latched onto. Um, but you can see that the cause and effect. So I'm. I, I, I'm going to purify my mind and experience uh, less and less dukkha, but I'm not going to latch on to those experiences or identify with those experiences and crave for heaven because um, that sort of ignorance will just put me in the endless cycle of being reborn and reborn and reborn, right? So seeing with the, the Dhamma is kind of a, a cutting through or breaking through the, the cycles altogether um, and uh, dissolving the whole, the whole show of it or, or uh, discerning uh, things as they actually are, which is there's no selves here, okay? It's all impermanent, transient phenomena and uh, um, there's not sh nothing to latch onto and there's really nothing to worry about and there's nothing to do. Um, so you, you might as well be happy and uh, spread it. Okay. Um, here we go. And now we're going to get to the real heart of the Dhamma. So he goes through some magical stuff. And may, I mean, I think rebirth is good for most people to think in that way. It's good for Sila. So for the average person, I think karma and rebirth is a good idea to have, whether they understand it from the super mundane vantage point. Um, they're I think good, it, they're well, good ideas to control a society, right? A yeah, whole yeah. society won't, you can't expect a whole society to think from a noble perspective. Yes. To discern whether yeah. their actions are wise or unwise, each individual action. Right. So uh, instead, their beliefs, like if you do something bad, something bad will happen in the future. If you do something good, something good will happen in the future. 
Yeah. There are ways of simplifying it for the, the masses. Yeah. Try to be a good person is the way of saying. And you you have good things will happen to you. So that's the simple. I mean, I think that's good for everyone. That's good for society. Right. Um, but now we get to the heart of the Dhamma here. Um, this was the second true knowledge attained by me in the second watch of the night. Ignorance was banished and true knowledge arose. Darkness was banished and light arose as happens in one who abides diligent, ardent, ardent, and resolute. When my concentrated mind was thus purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability, I directed it to the knowledge of the destruction of the taints. I directly knew as it actually is, this is suffering. I directly knew as it actually is. This is the origin of suffering. I directly knew as it actually is. This is the cessation of suffering. I directly knew as it actually is. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. I directly knew as it actually is. These are the taints. So the fetters, right? I directly knew as it actually is. This is the origin of the taints. I directly knew as it actually is. This is the cessation of the taints. I directly knew as it actually is. This is the way leading to the cessation of the taints. When I knew and saw thus, my mind was liberated from the taint of sensual desire, from the taint of being, from the taint of ignorance. When it was liberated, there came the knowledge, it is liberated. I directly knew birth is destroyed. The holy life has been lived. What was needed to be done has been done. Oh, I see you, Veda. It's good seeing you. Good to have you. Okay, so I'm going to start over that paragraph because uh, here's the fin finale, the grand finale. Um, Okay, when I knew and saw thus, my mind was liberated from the taint of sensual desire. When it was liberated, there came the knowledge, it is liberated. I directly knew, birth is destroyed, the holy life has been lived, what was needed to be done has been done. There is no more coming into any state of being. Okay, so this is the what I was talking about earlier, you kind of... Um, you wake the big wakey wakey out of birth and birth and death altogether. So you're not coming into a state. You're not arriving anywhere anymore. You have arrived. This is it. Um, the holy life has been lived. Um, this was the third true knowledge attained by me in the third watch of the night. Ignorance was banished and true knowledge arose. Darkness was banished and light arose as happens in one who abides diligent, ardent, and resolute. Now, Brahman, it might be that you think perhaps the recluse Gotama is not free from lust, hate, and delusion even today, which is why he still resorts to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest. But you should not think thus. It is because I see two benefits that I still resort to remote jungle thicket resting places in the forest. I see a pleasant abiding for myself. 
here and now, and I have compassion for future generations. Indeed, it is because Master Gautama is accomplished, a fully enlightened one, that he has compassion for future generations. Magnis magnificent, Master Gautama, magnificent. Master Gautama has made the Dhamma clear in many ways, as though he were turning upright what had been overthrown, revealing what was hidden, and showing the way to one who it was lost. Or holding up a lamp in the dark for those with eyesight to see forms. I go to Master Gautama for refuge, and to the Dhamma, and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. From today, let Master Gautama remember me as a lay follower who has gone to him for refuge for life. Alright, so that's pretty powerful stuff. Um, this is um, the way leading to the end of suffering. So this is sort of uh, the Dhamma has been made clear by the fully enlightened one, and uh, he's holding up a lamp in the darkness um, to show the way, so to speak. And uh, why, so after, after uh, one has attained this final knowledge, um, why he's still doing this stuff, it's just for fun at this point is what it means. Like, uh, why does Damarado teach us, and why does why does he remote to uh, resort to seclusion? Because do benefits. It's pleasant, abiding, so it's peaceful, um, it's enjoyable, it's good, and uh, out of compassion. So this peaceful, pleasant, abiding um, is good for yourself, and it's good for other people too, because it shows other people that it's possible. Um, whereas in the normal world of things, uh, you might not think happiness is possible because everyone is miserable. So it's actually really good for everyone to have people who are actually happy and actually uh, enjoying themselves and uh, have a pleasant abiding, right? So, okay, that's the end of the sutta. Um, now we can open it up for dialogue, uh, thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. Any takeaways you guys had from that? What you think about that? Yeah, for me, the takeaway in the ending is that the the practice is, you, you still kind of stays. It, it does. It, it doesn't go anywhere. He still he still goes back to it. Like he still goes back to seclusion. He still goes back to the the, the same things. Not necessarily because it's just an endless cycle. Like it, 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 the 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 things are still coming forward. It doesn't mean that there's an end. To all of this it's just the skill gets better and it becomes actually very enjoyable skill to to practice yeah yeah so the the benefits of the the dhamma and the practice is kind of uh uh the gift that keeps on giving um uh, is a phrase that comes to mind so it's good in the beginning it's good in the middle and it's good in the end so, uh, but th this practice, you know, it is a noble undertaking. So uh, it is terrifying. It is horrifying to go into seclusion and to face reality head on as it is um, and to surmount um, unwholesome states of mind. 
um, but it is possible uh, with uh, the Eightfold Noble Path. So uh, with this practice, this is very simple, but uh, easily repeatable practice. So if you keep on throwing out unwholesome thoughts and you keep on uh, maintaining a wholesome state of mind, uh, the inertia eventually will lead you to uh, places that you never imagined um, was possible to get to. Um, sober, at least, I thought it was impossible <laughs> until I experienced it for myself. You can experience, uh, people think they need a drug to experience ecstasy, or they need this, or, or they need a lover to experience ecstasy. No, it's, you can experience ecstasy uh, with um, the right practice. This, uh, you have full access to this um, if you develop the skills. And uh, um, even ecstasy is not even the best thing that there is. <laughs> it gets better than ecstasy, believe it or not. So there's nuances and subtleties to um, the experience of Dukkha Naroda that has uh, various levels and qualities, um, ultimately cold, culminating in uh, um, greater and greater clear, clarity and understanding of the workings of things. So you know as it actually is, this is suffering, this is the origin of suffering, and this is the cessation of suffering, and this is how to get there. And you see that very clearly. So there's a... Um, there's really no fear and dread um, that comes that comes uh, in, into your mind, and uh, the kind of darkness is is uh, is banished, and light, inner lights will arise in you when you understand these things completely and clearly. Um, so it's very beautiful, very profound. All right, well, I think that's a good note to end it. It seems that uh, um, the silence uh, can speak for itself. So um, once you get yourself into a wholesome, into a clear state of mind, I, I suggest just try to bask in it, sit in it silently. Um, this is second jhana. So so second jhana doesn't need to be um, um, as big of a firework show as it might be sometimes. Sometimes it could just be a very pleasant, uh, a very uh, nice, tranquil abiding where your body is relaxed and uh, you're just soaking up uh, the peace and the seclusion. And uh, again, the breath. The breath is is second jhana. When you're not thinking about the breath and you're just experiencing the breath, that's second jhana. So those moments when you're just breathing. And you kind of get into a rhythm of it and uh, the breath kind of feels good and you stop kind of thinking about it. Now you're just in this moment, just breathing. Uh, this is another way to uh, jhana, is just breath. Um, and uh, it might even be more efficient.
um, than uh, thinking about it. But uh, I say both. So the breath and wholesome thoughts is kind of like a, a one-two punch that uh, knocks out the hindrances. Um, you just have to go see for yourself, practice over and over and over and over again. All right, guys. Well, it was good seeing y'all. Take care. And uh, again, good to the you, YouTube Scott. channel. Good see you, Carl. Yeah. yeah. Likewise, guys. Thanks Take care. For yeah, and again, to anyone who might be watching on YouTube, uh, anyone is welcome to come. Uh, this is an open dialogue. Uh, um, please come bring up topics, uh, talk about things, um, ask questions. That's how you get better at uh, the Dhamma. So if you're watching on the sidelines and you're you're afraid of dipping your toe in, please come on. Uh, we don't bite. Everyone here is friendly. Um, don't be afraid of asking uh, stupid questions. That's how you learn more and and uh, get better. So this is a skill. It is not like a, it. It is similar to other skills that uh, participation helps. So actually calling Domorado for me like made a big difference and asking questions so that might be embarrassing right so don't be afraid to get embarrassed it's actually for the good and benefit of yourself and um instead of hiding from it and denying uh, the unwholesomeness it's better to bring it up and then we can talk about how to deal with it uh together with the sangha so so everyone's welcome all righty i'll see you good next see you time Scott. man good seeing you